Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. I'm Dominic Patton from Deadline Hollywood, formerly referred to as Deadline Online. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are going to get to this very, very quickly. Ian McShane is one of my all-time favorite actors, so I was very honored when they asked me to participate today. I'm very honored that all of you came out on a Monday. Um, Mondays were a tough night, so thank you. Uh, and on tough nights, Ian McShane began his professional theater stage career in 1962 at the Arts Theater in London. Next week, he will be back again as Al Swearingen in his Golden Globe winning, Emmy nominated and SAG nominated role in HBO's Deadwood. So without further ado, Ian McShane. Hi. Hi, John. Hey. How are you? Come on, sit down. Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to go now because it's going to be the, that's kind of, that's the best it goes. So, 1962 to 2019. And I was swearing then. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, it's true, you just reminded me, it was a theater club. It was a play called Infanticide in the House of Fred Ginger. Wow, that's a title. Written by Fred Watson. And it was John Hurt, Tony Beckley, and I played three teddy boys who babysit a kid and drink it to death with gin. And it was three months before they did the famous play, Saved, mm -hmm. Edward, the, Edward uh, Bond play, yeah. which became the big hit. This was sort of really rough, and they had to be done in the arts theater. And even then, it was full of, you know, I was effing and blinding and saying everything. Was that it, back in the years when they had the censor? Yeah. So were the, like, yeah, the, the theater club, you could yeah. say what you wanted. Well, ah. you know, as you, that was the days, if you know. The sexual revolution came a little late for me between <laughs> Lady Chatley Band and the Beatles' first LP. Yes. But I, luckily, I was born a little after that. So well, the, you were, the 60s were everything. No, they really were. Well, you were born. I'm, I'm just ask, am I going to get one or I'm just going to yell? Unforgettable. <laughs> That's ah, what you see, are. This is a Monday night show. This is a real show. That's almost like that thing you did a couple, couple of weeks ago in the American Gods episode when you were in the 30s oh, with the cabaret. That was sweet. You yeah. can sing, brother. No, not bad. I mean, yeah. I, well, the thing is about the doing, I did Witches of Eastwick back in 1999 or 2000. No, 2000, the, the musical. The Witches of Eastwick, the play. The, the musical. Yeah. The, which is at least <laughs> the musical, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, which got you know should have been um, a lot stronger. Than, but it's I'd never done a musical before. Really? I mean, I sung in show, but I'd never done a musical. 
So when the it was great. It was one of the most informative and strangest because they're in another world. You know, people who do yeah. musicals, it's like they're, <laughs> they're so up themselves <laughs> in a guy's way, but they believe that they're doing something which the world has never seen before the entire time. And people are dancing. Ah, that's not <laughs> but, but I did all that. I took all the classes and did that, and it was fascinating. But, you know, I, um, the show just didn't have that extra thing it had, whatever yeah. was due to it. But it teaches you a lot. And that's what you go back to in acting. I mean, you never stop learning. And that's what, you know, much like watching Deadwood the other night was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just, it was, that's a difficult thing to pull off. Well, taking, well, I mean, taking a two hour, a, a two, a, well, yeah. taking a, 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 an award winning show, coming back not just years later, I mean, revivals and reboots are all over the place now, but actually transforming the form of it. And I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, you know, we're going to kind of go all over the place tonight. So if you're looking for the chronology, have oh, no, that's drink. boring. Have, have no, look, drink. Look, yeah, we're not doing that. No. Uh, you, can, you can get your tickets back, but I don't think you had to pay for them. Um, <laughs> in that, what wanted, what wanted you to bring it? What wanted you to bring it back with David and come and come and do it again? I mean, because you guys are done. You were, you done it. It's a great move, part in your career. Uh, well, that was the thing. It was always talked about a lot. You read about yeah. it. Like, will it be coming back or not? Uh, Milch and I would have breakfast a couple of times a year. I'd call Tim, email sometimes, say, how are you, whatever, follow up. And I'd see the other members. Well, I mean, we all kept relatively close. We'd have a couple of breakfasts for a few cast members. But not, nothing like, we didn't have like a Deadwood revival. It was just like people actually got on, really mm -hmm. like, and you had a, a shared memory of this incredible experience, which may be the best ever. And when they said, but about a couple of years ago, it got serious when the, a script that seemed real, because the most difficult thing, we talked about this before, doing a, a two-hour movie, which is a finite thing of an, of an episodic one-hour show, which, is a, which tells a story. So a movie has to encompass a lot more ground. It has to invite new people into it. it you can't feel excluded. It can't be an in-joke on the first, but it must link back, and I think, what they found 10 years later, making it statehood day. Mm. Hearst comes back to town, her people have got on with their lives, but they come back for various, there was like an anchor to it, there was a reality. And then you could get on with the small revenges after that, because I think one of the things, the greatness of Milch is that he's a great, great writer. I mean, mm. uh, and uh, that's what you have, and that's what you have in this, and I was, really moved the other night watching it thinking yeah you pulled it off you know i really think that you know it's not the people i was worried about it's the it's always a show is the entire thing milton bill once said something very well i always think it was funny it's like saying it's better to be shit in a hit than a hit in shit <laughs> yes you know not often you get to pull off a Milton Berle quote nowadays no, in Hollywood. No. Just I, dropping them. And after a John Wick weekend, which yeah, exactly. was pretty good for everybody. And we should, and we we should, got, yes, oh, exactly. No, but hold, hold occasionally. The man, the man is in the movie that took down Avengers Endgame. I think we can give a round of applause, all right? Now, I want to ask you. Clearly, the gods are in alignment. I mean, I'm, it's like, you know, I mean, success is whatever. Success has many fathers, wonderful. I mean, whatever yeah. happened to Hellboy, that never came out. That wasn't too terrible, but. Nobody will, nobody's responsible for that movie. It's a wonderful <laughs> business. And I like, no, it's well, mate, you know so what? Crazy. You're, you're, you're going to have a very good May. A very good May. And that means you're going to have a great summer. So it works out well. But having said that, are you coming back for John Wick 4? Is Winston returning? 
I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we don't even talk about that. Again, it's well, like... Well, I'm saying you should know that yeah is actually the last word we've in all, John Wick You know, it's again, it's one of those yeah. great things that originally Chad said, come to New York, you know, have a, you know, 10 days, have it, it was over Thanksgiving, we'll a nice hotel suite in New York, have a cup, you know, it's a nice part. Everybody was an interesting guest stars, Willem Dafoe, Johnny Legs. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Andrew, Adrian Paletsky and then Keanu, of course. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a tight script, but you know, sometimes you do know. That's why I got a good cast. It wasn't just because we all fancied just a couple. There was something about the script that appealed to, you know, actors fulfill things. He cast it well, he made it look fantastic. Made in New York at night. And Keanu plays the melancholic solo assassin killer better than anybody I could ever. <laughs> no, and he's also a great guy, which is also makes a big difference, you know? I couldn't be happier for him. And um, really, and he made it into this, and I remember I was in Atlanta doing something else. Oh, Bolden, another movie yeah. that came out. Oh, that's right. That's so fascinating. Got, that's you, another you have, one. Well, right now you have Bolden but, but, yeah, and, but, I mean, and John Wick 3. But they were interesting. <laughs> I know, but one go overpowers the other. It's yeah. a shame Bolden didn't know much about it. It's Dan Pritzker's movie about the jazz legend nobody knows about it. Buddy Bolden. Excellent Buddy Bolden, yeah. but you know. Music I, by Wynton Marcellus. Oh, I'm a, yeah. and it's quite a, it's like a fevered jazz dream. I loved mm. it, but he's sort of, you know, Dan's his own man. He made the movie for himself, for what he wants to see. He made his movie, his way. Gary Carr's fan. Fabulous, the music's great, and it will be, it'll be seen, it'll get out there, movies always do, but not necessarily on the, on the movies, that's sad, you know. I'll tell you something funny, though. On the way over here, I drove by two Deadwood billboards, you and Tim, one Bolden, and a fuck of a lot of John Wicks, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad drive through L.A. for someone who, in 1965, was in the first production of Joe Orton's Loot. Oh, that was unbelievable. Now, wow. how many of you know who Joe Orton is? All right. There's a, as, as, as Ian said, movies never die. Go, there's a film called Prick Up Your Ears starring the great yeah. Gary Oldman. Yeah. Yeah. Watch that as a primer and then pick up one of these, one of these, one of the great playwrights of, of, of modern Britain, to say the least. Oh, and you were in the very first production of Loot with Kenneth Williams, who some of you might know from the Carry On films. Uh, yeah, but Kenneth Williams occupied one of those spaces, you've got to be English to understand, he was, a, he was a, a huge stage star of reviews. Maggie Smith will tell you, she knows everything she learned from Kenny Williams. They used to do a couple of reviews together in the sort of late 50s, early 60s. And Kenny had to, ooh, dear, hello, mm. very camp, yeah. out there. Uber camp. Well, no, Uber camp, but yeah. it didn't matter. He was something else. It yeah. had nothing to do with anything. He was just incredibly talented, funny, strange, exotic but very much English and very much a sort of this weird, and they did these reviews and they did the, P, I think it was Peter Schaefer comedy together and then he was cast in this. And, um, but you guys did it in Cambridge. My second play. In Cam- you did it in Cambridge. That's where Oh it no, we did it all, we did the classic then, the English tour, you know, mm. you'd start in all the towns. And because this play, Loot was, I mean, I read it, I saw his first play, which, Dear Departed Dudley Sutton, my old pal was in, which is entertaining Mr. Sloan. No, yes. Joe's one of the great writers of all time. And like Milch, she's never, um, let me cut to the quick a bit, otherwise I could go on stories forever about this, but the, the director was Peter Wood, who should never have been allowed near the play. <laughs> um, no, he's a very good classical director, but it was all sort of camp, it was all like, then this was also the classic second play 
of a great dramatist who had a huge success with the first play. They took it to the West End, dressed it up and gave it the West End treatment instead of doing it exactly like what they should have done in the first play, which is cast it right. They didn't do that except for Kenny. Kenny yeah. played the inspector and Kenny was so... Uh, it was fascinating watching an actor who's an, an actor huge. It was something, you know, really different. Who'd do anything and get on stage with him. Watching him get a laugh was amazing. If he failed, he'd stick out his bum and go, woo! Yeah. But the first night he came on dressed so as you know, a... If you don't... No, attend, Kenneth, Kenneth Williams is, is, is an icon oh, absolutely. in the UK. An and icon. he's the one in all those movies, that, in, the, uh, in all the carry-on yeah. movies. Very, 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 yeah. Oh, infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy. I should explain this. Classic I should line explain this. He's, that is carry-on Cleo, which is about Julius Caesar. So when it's infamy, infamy, infamy they've all got it infamy. Comedic chops are coming back. Yeah. No. But it was like saying, watching an actor not know how to play the part and go through all the physical stuff and everything, and a director trying to align with him, forgetting what the play was really about. Geraldine McEwen, great yeah. actress, was the yeah. nurse. Duncan McRae, this iconic Scottish, I mean, deadpan comedian, actor, but he films in the 50s, whatever. It was a fantastic cast. David Batley played mm -hmm. Dennis, the other part. Den and Dennis was, uh, and um, he was a blue baby, I remember, David. So he had this very, I mean, we've talked about it, when he had this totally lugubrious quality. The very lugubrious. It was a, it was a great cast. Yeah. But of course, we did six weeks. And it was a disaster. <laughs> Everywhere we went, we got booed because it was anti-Catholic. Yeah. And we played Manchester when they were like saying, disgrace, this place should be taken off the stage. But you learn a lot. When people, you know, you know when the, all, the, all the old grannies came out, everybody, oh, it's a disgrace, this place, the swearing, whatever. And it was just, we were on the cusp of going, you know, you could say what you wanted in the West End. And we died in Wimbledon. I'll never forget, and Kenny had, Kenny had, uh, Kenny and I, and Kenny came in on the last night, whatever, and he says, mm, it's like, mm, well, dear, it's been wonderful working with you. Oh, you've been peeing in the sink, have you? Oh, <laughs> but I mean, you've got to understand the theatrical side of somebody that is so, I adored him, and the yeah. play, and it was like, I can never felt, I wanted to say, this play could have been great. And I did actually say to Joe, well, meanwhile, Joe and I used to go out in the evenings drinking. Yeah. Orton was one of those people, he was dressed in as a, well. Actually, go see the movie because Gary's performance is fucking extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've got to say, Oldman's performance from somebody you knew, Orton, that sort of cheeky air of. It wasn't that. It wasn't that he's getting. Joe was just again one of those people out there like Quentin Crisp, completely different. Yeah. His own guy, fearless, wrote great. Lived with Halliwell, this strange guy who never appeared. Halliwell, he wore wigs. Yeah. He never appeared on our show. It's an amazing story. And all ends badly. Alfred, yeah, all ends, but Alfred, <laughs> Alfred Molina, they're both great in the movie. But it was a fascinating experience of a great stage failure. Because I said to Joe, we used to go, I said, they'll do this play in a year, like off, off Broadway, the equivalent. They did. Yeah. It made Big Michael hit. Bates yeah. and Simon Ward and Kenneth Crano. Yeah. They three did it off, off, you know, the funny business. Now, you mentioned Quentin Crisp, who, of course, was played by your John, very, yeah. very good friend, John Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you two, your, your friendship lasted, sadly to say, a lifetime in his Well, case. yeah, on and off. I mean, Johnny, you know, we all went on different ways, but I was deep love. I mean, when somebody you've known somebody since you were 17, and yeah. he was... Johnny was, I think, he'd been, a central, he'd been to St. Martin's Art School. So he was a little older and he transferred over from, to Rada. So Johnny was about four years older than me. But we shared a flat together the last few months and he got me my first part in movies. Right. He was doing this movie called The Wild and the Willing, which mm. turned out to be 
the rank organizations attempted the new wave, <laughs> which, you know, is bound to end badly. I mean, yeah. gotta, but, you know, I, it, no, it, it is. It could have been, it, could have been, it was halfway there. Again, What's that like as an actor? Well, it's critical. Because well, no, I mean, you, you, you and I have talked a lot, and I know that you, 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 are, you are wonderfully acerbic, and, and one of my heroes for that, because you're, a no, you're a kind of a no-bullshit kind of guy, and I like that a lot, a lot. Plus, you remind me of my crazy uncles. And I like that a lot. <laughs> um, um, but what is it like when you, you talked about it here with loot, but I, and you know, throughout your career, when you're in something, you're like, oh, man, this just is like, I, I see the gem here and we're just not getting to it. Oh, it, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's like something with, um, with witches. Like, well, that was the same thing. There's not, not many in your life, but, but I mean, but sometimes, you know, you feel it's, it's a shame. That was an inevitability, but it was a fascinating car crash to be in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know, because I remain friends with Ken. I mean, I'm one of the few people that you have out of his flat, you know, once. Yeah. Ooh, hello, dear, have a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have these fond memories, even though he screwed up the play, yeah. basically. But it wasn't meant, to, I always think it wasn't meant to be, you know? It's like, why the hell did I get the part of Al Swearingen? I mean, I wasn't exactly the first person you think of to play a Western saloon keeper. I'm not being funny now well, because no, 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 but wait, wait, no, no, but wait, don't forget it, it, but, but it changed, yeah, but it, well, yeah. It, but it changed with Milch, you know, I mean, yeah. the thing is, whatever happened, sometimes fortuitous shit happens your way, I mean, mm. sexy beast had come out, which whatever, yeah. so that, so you're going to be the first, one of the first foreign imports, you know what mm. I mean, if they look, on yeah. Hollywood has never been, and it's, it's a great place. Never shy about importing talent from wherever it is, mm -hmm. where they believe, especially actors. So, you know, um, and whatever happened to that, I, I remember sitting in London, and my Gwen and I thinking, what the hell am I going? You know, because I've just finished a BBC six-parter thing, whatever. I think, oh, we'll go with America. They got this call, uh, American TV series. No, I don't want to do a TV series. Well, it's David Milch. Walter Hill directing, and it's HBO. You yeah. say, well, excuse me. <laughs> May I start this conversation again? <laughs> I mean, you know, the three things. You go, wow, that would be really nice. So I came over, and, we, and it happened. Mm -hmm. And next minute, you know you're filming it. And then the filming of Deadwood happened, which was the most incredible creative three years you've ever spent. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is... I mean, I've said, and I, I never get tired of saying it, you know what I mean, David Milch is the reason that Deadwood is. We can all say, yeah, we added to it, and we were terrific, and the actors were great, and the sets were great, and it was great, but Milch was the beating heart mm -hmm. in, in, in every sense. You see, I've gone into my Al voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny how you notice things. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's... You know, and it was, I was so touched the other night to be there when, the, the, when, we, when, we, showed, when, we, when we showed that mm -hmm. on that big screen and you go, in the first few frames, if you, you know, you've made a movie for television. You've not made a movie to be shown at the Cinerama mm -hmm. Dome. But in the first few frames, you go, oh, we're going to be okay with this one. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, no, you know, yeah, but, but it's a funny business. Sometimes, you know, things fail for no reason or they get hammered. and you go, why did that happen? But mm -hmm. it, it just happens. I mean, I did a comedy called... A hot rod first after I did, and I knew that was good. I don't, does anybody ever see it? It's funny, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. 
And I never, I knew it, but I thought it was a fun film to make, and they were very talented, Andy Samberg yeah, and those guys, uh, it was great, and I thought, and they hammered it, but you know, when it came out, but of course it became a cult movie down yeah. the time, people like it, and it's funny, I mean, in fact, my, my son said, Dad, if he's, I said, yeah, I said, it's, I know, I said, it's, it's, there's some great shit in there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like saying, but they hammered it because, you know, occasionally, it's like romantic comedies, they'll come on, and critics will go, oh yeah, oh yeah, and then suddenly for no reason go, that's there, yeah. and they'll pick on one. <laughs> No, it's no reason they'll pick on one. And that's, that's what they do. Because what they really are is, you know, they're bookkeepers in cemeteries, you know. Critics, you know. Well, as a professional TV critic, I'll be leaving now. I know, but you know, you know, <laughs> what, you know what I mean. Job. You know what I mean, don't you? You're not going to no, like every actor. No, no, look, but I, Critics I, have a job to do, but suddenly this uh, herd mentality happens sometimes on something. That is, I, I, I think You know what I'm true. saying? That's all. I'm saying, no, I'm, and I'm not, you, you have to have that there to get the message out. You have to get to some shows that would, too, have been found by critics that it would never have, it's like, you know, the Z Channel, the forerunner yeah. of everything good on TV. I mean, the, you know, you'd never have had um, the great movie. Uh, what do you call it? The Michael Cimino Heaven's Gate. You'd yeah. never have had that. Like the Z Channel yeah. played that full three hours. I remember watching it. Like back in when you had one button. Remember yeah. that load down? You had one button, you press it, Z Channel. And you played like Once Upon a Time in America, uncut, yeah. the edited version. When you didn't see those things. And if you love movies, and I've always loved movies, I was brought up to like them by my dad and my mom. And you know, it's, it's great when you see that stuff. And now, and now you've got the choice. It's so amazingly unlimited where you can see it. I mean, it was always going to happen. They always said that was Lou Wasserman's big mistake. He didn't see cable coming. No, no. And Lou made very few mistakes. Now let's, yeah. now let's talk about this, okay? So we, we talked about Loot, and we've talked about Deadwood, the movie. So we kind of bookended a little bit there. But let's talk about some other things. So, Lovejoy. American Gods. You. Yes. Grace Jones' is Slave to the Rhythm narration, which has always been a particular favorite of mine. Oh, that I, was I great. No, that was fabulous. I was sitting in a fish and chip shop in London okay. in 19... 19- Any story that starts with, I was sitting in a fish and chip shop in London is a very going to good a good one. place. It used to be called Jeels. Best yeah. haddock and chips in London. Right behind the new ga- the Gates Cinema in London. And I was sitting in there, and I think, Gwenny and I, my wife, uh, we've, been, we've, been out, we've been outside. I forget. Anyway, we're having fish and chips in there, and there's Trevor Horn, producer, who I've yep. known forever, uh, who goes, hello, Ian, Ian. What are you doing after supper? I said, I don't know, Trevor, why? He said, well, I need a voice, and Orson Welles is dead. (laughs) 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 Well, I'm fine. So he said, let's go back. And he had these wonderful sound studios, which are down in just Notting Hill Gate. They're down Labrador Grove, down the road. And we went there, and Trevor produces in the most, uh, then in the most dynamic way, you know. Roll you know who Trevor Horn is? Trevor, video yeah. Killed yeah. The, the, yeah. The video, video killed the radio star. I never, but I produced everything yeah. decided what He owned the first part of the 80s. Yeah. yeah. And um, rules, you know, he rolls a superbly huge spliff and then sits behind his desk, you know, going, all right, then. And so I read out this amazing, I said, can I have some of that? If I'm going to read this crap. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so then we had the most greatest two hours of playing mm-hmm. around with it. And lo and behold, yeah. I'm a, Grace wouldn't know me from Adam. I've never met her. But <laughs> it's nice being part of our, and that was the genius of the guy she was with. John, was it John Michael Good, wasn't he? He was the yeah, producer. He was, yeah, yeah. He, was like the, he was like the Malcolm McDowell. Those kind of people who create sort of, you know, they have an image of something. I'm yeah, no, I get the, that. I get that. Know, I, well, Malcolm McDowell's Buffalo Girls, one of the great records. You know? That's true. That's true. And then, and then Buffalo Girls came when, Mal- when Malcolm McLaren did it. You know, oh, no, it smart yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so look at some of these. And then and then there's ones like I remember 
when I was younger. I remember seeing you in Jesus of Nazareth as as well. You know, bad guys, bad guy. If you want to oh, start don't, out don't with you, don't you know that you, you see you know, definitely you see said no, Ian is not a bad guy. No, 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 no. There's they say no, 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 no. You cannot say this. There's this great saying no. in Italy. Judas, when, Judas no, when Jesus got, is when Jesus the got to heaven, OG Judas, of bad guys. Was, Judas was there, sitting <laughs> yeah. on the right hand of God, yeah. waiting for Jesus to come. Waiting for something. Otherwise, who, who fulfilled the story? You have to have a bad guy to fulfill. Otherwise, it's not a good story. Yeah. <laughs> you want to blame the Sanhedrin? <laughs> I mean, that was that was a great experience doing that, yeah. watching uh, watching them all. And we we all went down that day when it was Anthony Quinn playing the chief rabbi of the Sanhedrin. And then you had Olivier Richardson and Mason playing all the mm. high Jewish priests. And you said, you got to watch this because you know you. So we all we all got down there, and there's and and Anthony Quinn is tearing his robes, he's ripping his robes off, huh. and there's Olivier standing there going, Ah, oh, Tony, you saw your door like that? Wicked <laughs> <laughs> shit. And, and Richardson going, I don't know what. I mean, all these yeah. amazing voices in Anthony because they've done plays together. They don't make them like that anymore. You know what I mean? And every time we, I mean, we're sitting on a hillside, you know, with Anne Bancroft. Who was great, Annie? Mm -hmm. We're sitting there, and she's just Mary Magdalene. We're sitting there, and yeah. up comes the. Uh, can you hear me at the back without yeah. this? Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Uh, and up comes Mary Magdalene, and up comes the lunchbox. People come by with a, a box. They go, there you go. And it was like a banana, a sandwich, and an apple, whatever, and a bottle of water. And you're by the roadside, and we're sitting there, and there's like you know, and Bancroft, and there's uh, who else is there? Who else is there? That's uh, Stacy Keach, and there's me, and whatever, and we're sitting there, and then suddenly Zeffirelli's up on this sort of plateau, and this Mercedes comes up, driven by Dorino, who was his mute Reggian Calabrian aide. This little guy, <laughs> wait about, he looked like one of the assassins in John Wick. He was like 90 pounds soaking wet, skin, and didn't speak, and whips up in this Mercedes to the top of this plateau. Out of the back comes a camping table, a tablecloth, knife and fork, silver thumb, pasta in the air like that, and Zephyr and Franco goes, ciao darlings. <laughs> That, that's how they make movies. And Anne Bancroft says, what the fuck is this? What a, what a fucking banana and a, and a cheese sandwich? <laughs> that's Zeffirelli, darling. Oh, boy, you're so wonderful. My actors, you're so good. Are you, are you gonna write a book? Are you, no, why? no, no. I'd rather talk about it now. It's much more fun. Once you've it written it down, the stories are around. That's true. Well, you know, you could podcast well, the but fuck the, out of it. I, well, yeah, there's too many of those. Like, ah. So listen, so I want to go through some more. Eric okay? and God, we forgot about that. Great show. We're, we're here all night, Ian. Trust we're coming us. We're back, not forgetting we're coming back it. for season three. Yes, yes. Which I broke on deadline, which I was very proud to do. So we're going we're gonna to go from this, okay? So I want to talk about that. So you did, you did Kings. Woo! And then, yes, thank you. Because Kings was a great show that just didn't hit, find the right time. If Kings came out today, it'd probably be one of the number one shows on television. It was a, it wasn't, well, that's a classic case of yeah. saying, 2009. the network saying, we want a cable show. Can we yeah. do it? And they couldn't do it. They're not built to do cable shows. No. You can't do 24 of those a year. You know, we got through 13, and it, the management changed in the middle of it, but they managed to let us make us all of them. And it's what, it, it was a good show. Michael did a great job writing it. And uh, terrific direction. 
It was what interesting. Did you, what did, what did you? You know, a lot of people. I remember. I remember when it first came on. There was sort of. It felt like it was. It was. Tr- it was in a whirlwind that you were trying to find out where it was going to go. Francis okay. Lawrence. Did, I think Francis yeah. and Michael we, and me worked very closely together with that. And sort of like, it was the story of Saul, David. Yeah. It was the beginnings. It, it was the you know the book of Samuel in the Bible mm-hmm. is what it is, and it was a book about you know faith and it was a, a very moot at the time with the son-in-law Dylan Baker playing like the Dick Cheney character mm-hmm. and the, the industrial complex and if America was a king mm-hmm. and I was the king and the family was like you know the sort of rather Shakespearean kind of husband and wife deal uh, and, and the brother-in-law ran the industrial complex and it all got complicated Canada was the north there was some, yeah, yeah. Stuff. It was some yeah. good stuff in it you know but you you worked with Michael on that and then you went to work with Michael with Brian Fuller on American God yeah now American God's gone through a lot of changes behind yeah. the camera mildly <laughs> but it's it's remained excellent on screen from what we've been seeing. It's obviously an adaptation. How many of you guys have seen it? It's an ad- yes. Adaptation of Neil Gaiman's amazing 2001 novel. Um, and now you're coming back for a season three. Things got pretty rough in season two between the old gods and the new gods. And Ian, of course, plays Mr. Wednesday. And if you've seen the show, I'm going re- to tell you something you know. If you haven't, I'm about to break something to you. He's also the Norse god Odin, just father of all fathers. Um, it got pretty rough on season two with you, with you guys. Um, the new gods and the old gods really went to war. Really went to war. Well, we had to get back to the, the sort of story that we were trying to lay out and then lay it out now and end the season so we can pick up the book and maybe finish the book in the next couple of years, year, however. That's what they're working on now. Yeah. Because the book, I mean, the, it's, a, it's game. And again, great storyteller. Yeah. doesn't call himself a writer. He's a storyteller. Yeah. Great storyteller. And that's the way the story should be told, with these side roads going off into, into other, in other avenues. And it's a difficult, it's a light, it's a, it'll always be a difficult show. And I'm kind of happy about that knowing which way to go, but we have a, you know, a, a series of writers now who are, are pitching the way to go for the season and how to finish the book and how to cooperate with Neil, and Neil's got his own show. Yeah, Good Omens. I mean, Good Omens coming out soon. But it was a complicated year, but kind of fascinating. It's one of those shows, yeah, it's, it's not an easy show to do. But neither was Deadwood in a completely different kind of way. Deadwood had a, you know, a, a, a showrunner of genius behind it. This is difficult when you had two excellent showrunners who, for whatever reason, fell out with the network, yeah. whatever, went away. It wasn't perfect the first season. I thought we got away with it. No, I mean, I think they had to have a big finish and came back again. Mm. And then season two had to get back to the book. So again, you know, the naysayers or whatever, because they'd go, it was too far away. Brian and Michael were still, we missed them, but we didn't miss them. So you go back to the book, so you can't. So you're, you're treading a fine line. The thing is, when it, you know, you cut, you've got to follow your own, your own vision of what Neil wanted, which is um, tell his story. You know, it's, it's going to be touching. It's just this season, Shadow needs to step up more, the way it's written. Yeah. Which will be good, which will happen with Ricky, because it's not easy. Because the, the character's written as a, as a cipher, kind of, in the book. He's mm-hmm. your guide. But in television, you need to activate that character more. We did some terrific things last year. I mean, I think the relationship of Matt Sweeney and Laura, that's yeah. an invention of added to it, added enormously to the plot. The actors are terrific. The sort of the triangle between the only believer... Um, you know, who's the, the, the Muslim, the only, be- yeah. the only believer in the show, and the relationship between him and the jinn. There's some interesting stuff in there. And the really interesting thing is there's one particular episode that actually, because most of American Gods, besides the backstage, you guys call it, elements where 
for lack of a better way of putting it, you get all gaudy. Yeah. But otherwise, <laughs> most of it takes place in present, to present day. Yeah. But you had an episode to really give a sense of the longevity of Odin and, and how the centuries have passed that actually took place in 1930s America that touched on a lot of different elements, the rise of fascism in America, which is you know, a hidden history that people don't like to talk about. But there were giant rallies at Madison Square Garden with swastikas. And, you, and Mr. Wednesday is running essentially a, a cabaret. Um, and, and we meet Thor, for lack of a better expression, and all these other things. What was that like for you, that playing around that? Because that took the character to a whole other part, whereas Mr. Wednesday is campy and a little bit over the, the top, and that, you know, uh, sometimes you feel people are just going to tattoo it, Ian, roguish, McShane on everything. But this one took you to a different place, and it was really fascinating to watch, because it was like watching Olivier and the Entertainer. That was kind of, I guess you, you've said it now. I mean, I'm, I'm behind it. Um, no, it was, they wanted to do a backstory on, on, on Mr. Wednesday and to go back and sort of, I think I flipped them one day and said, maybe I should sing next year, mm. whatever. But they came up with something, again, it wasn't flippant, it was, it was good for the story, it, it led you, uh, Shadow and I were off on an adventure in the car trying to find, trying to find the, my spear, Gungnir, my holy spear, which has been... And I find it. And again, that was funny having it. You know, it's in a mall run by dwarves. Yes. They're the only ones that can. No, I mean, it was just, it's, it, it, and I and my a, dwarves. A, there was some very, it was a very, and then you go back, and I, then I reminisce about my son. Yeah. I might, I might wake up from a dream and, and whatever. And, it, and I go back, and it's in the 30s. I'm running this club, and telephone boys in there and whatever. And it, it was good. It was, and it, but, it, but it directed very well by Rachel Talley. I did, no, she did a great job on it. And you, do you do that in, in 10 days, you're proud of it, you know? Yeah. Something like that. It's what you do. And it was, it was kind of, yeah, it came out very well. Thank you, Dominic. You are welcome, sir. I think it deserves a round of applause. It was excellent. <laughs> Emmy voters. <laughs> Emmy voters. That, you know, you, you talked about something earlier when you were talking about watching Deadwood the movie at the premiere. And you talked about, look, this, we call it a movie, but it's an HBO movie. It's not meant for a big screen. But then you see it. You've done everything you can do as an actor including musicals with, with Eastwick. This is an age of TV. This is the era of peak TV. Last night, a show that you appeared on rather famously for a short period of time, <laughs> Game of Thrones, ended. But you know, now this is the era when TV, overpaid TV critics like myself say, television's where it's at. Do you think that? It always has been. It's just the way you approach it. It's, I mean, it, when I first play I did on television was live called Thank You and Good Night, written by a very famous Robert Muller. It was a two-hander about I was a pop singer. Oh, there you go. There yeah, you go. Pop there singer. Go. Taking the Through train. Line. Taking Through the line. Yeah, taking yeah. the train back from a disastrous gig in Brighton. From a, and the, the train takes exactly one hour, Brighton to London, then you do. And it was set on the... And she's a lady violinist. Uh, Sarah Bedell playing the lady violinist who's finishing an abortive affair with somebody. And it's the two of us. Because she's gone on the train going back. And it was live for TV and sliding doors and talking and fascinating. Live TV. I did The Caretaker live on TV yeah. too with, uh, in 65, which they won, that won the Emmy, I think, yeah. for the international exam. With Pinter. They're obsessively there watching us every second of the way. Playing, yeah, I played Mick and. Um, that one of the few times that uh, Roy Kinnear was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And the other guy was played, played uh, the brother, 
was the part was written Johnny Reese. It was written for him by Harold, and it's one of the few times because Harold write parts for actor friends, yeah. you know, that never got to play them because they were always not sufficiently well known or whatever. But I mean, but Johnny was great. It was written for him, and uh, it was uh, yeah, he was there the entire time doing Pinter's extraordinary thing. You know, being pin doing Pinter. I mean, I did the, again. I did the. Um, the homecoming, you homecoming, homecoming yeah, ten years and, ago, and yeah, you, which was, yeah. I guess, the fortieth anniversary, 40th anniversary yeah, of doing it. And Pinter's. Hold on a second, that yeah. deserves a round of applause no. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Pinter's bizarre because I think we can just end on that because no, everybody I, agrees with that. I'm part. not. You're right. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting tired. I think no. I'm just only because it's. I was looking at an audience, thinking that the times I've seen a Pinter play. It's the weirdest feeling. As an, acting Pinter is the best thing in the world. Best dialogue you have at best time. I mean, really. You find stuff in there, and don't ever pause. I mean, I suppose yeah, yeah. it's all bullshit, all that. Well, there's a, there's a pause. I mean, that was the way of, that's like, that's why they invented this Peter Hall about this you know, mystique about Harold never paused if you mm. watched him playing his own plays. Doing really? it when he acted, he never pulled. Yeah. And the last thing he said to me on the phone, I called him, I think, the night before we opened, and he said, um, he said, have a few. There's a few laughs in there, darling. You know, have a good time. You know, just, that's what actors say. There's a few yeah. laughs in there. There are enormous laughs. But in an audience, when you watch, a, I've never. Every time I've seen a Pinter play as an audience, you know, normally you feel together as an audience. You get a feeling about the theater. You feel totally alone watching a Pinter play. <laughs> you know, I wonder what they're thinking of. <laughs> There's nothing about you. You really are. You're absolute. That's a gift. That's a gift of a writer, which yeah. is extraordinary, you know. Yeah. And so, you, you know, then talking about that, to, to pick up on that, what was it like doing the 40th anniversary? For you, because I always wonder as actors, and I guess this is true of Deadwood too, you come back to do Al. You know you're going to F and blind a lot. You know there's going to be booze and people are going to die, and you, you, you love David's work. But is there a part where you say, I got something else to bring to this now, now that I've paused? You know, it was. It was, it was never like that. Deadwood was always about, and I think that's, sometimes it gets richly, uh, it was always about the work, and I, I can say that. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything David does is about the work. I mean, mm -hmm. Tim will tell you those stories about, you know, incorporating stuff that happens during the day mm -hmm. into the next scene. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> Are we sharing this one? No, just him. Oh, just, wow. No, it's just for me. Not mine. It's all mine. Mine, mine, mine. This, is like one of those, no. this looks like one of those old politician press conferences it's where there's like 18 microphones <laughs> in front of you. First of all, I'll say, thank God we have a union, yeah? Oh, my God. No, no. Yeah. Should have said that in the first place. But there you go. I thought that's what right to work meant. Yeah. Instead of the opposite. Anyway. So you, no. you, you, you come back. So you come back to Deadwood. But... No, you know, it was all about the Dominic. I swear yeah. to God, there was never any bullshit. David, in the mornings, you come in. It was the same when we did the show last year. When we, when we did the show, I was thinking on the way up on the first day, driving through that gate in the morning, in the pitch black, onto this soundstage, you know, go in your dressing room, whatever, make, you start, you walk across to the set. It's exactly the same as you remember it. David's there, makes a speech this time because he's not so adept at getting it out. Mm -hmm. So he, but he's written everything down, and he wants talks about the scene. And I've got to tell you, uh, watching Milch work, talking about a scene is one of the great things of all time. Uh, the guy is, uh, is out there with genius. 
No, I, I, I'll tell one. May I tell the story? I just uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, and it's a rather vulgar one, but I know you'll bear with me. The, the first day we, the very oh, no, first a vulgar Deadwood story. The, wow. the, first, <laughs> the first day we filmed with Paula and I, and this is going back, and it's when she shot the guy in the first in the pilot episode, and I take her upstairs. And he's going to beat the shit, whatever he's going to do. And it was that scene upstairs, and. Paul and I, and we're getting into it, whatever, and it's like, you know, you meet actors, you know, together, you feel you for them, and there's a pause, and we're, we're sort of, and David says, may I say something? And I says, absolutely, says, you gotta grab her cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been given that direction before. <laughs> But Paula knew what he meant instantly. She was, she went, absolutely. <laughs> because it's not the first thing you want. Do you mind if I grab your mm. darling? You know, whatever. In these days, I mean, you know. But it was like saying, I knew what he meant. Now, that's probably wouldn't happen now on the set, but it would happen on there. But yeah, because there's a different humanity going on there. So something different. But I'm telling you that story because you knew what he meant. It wasn't, you know, it's kind of like that putting down of something and whatever, and she did it. And all I say is that, that was, that was kind of like that story. Then you'd get stories like, he'd say to me, Ian, you, you got that Miss McGuffin, you got this paper, brown paper bag, you're going over to Charlie Utter, um, you're going to, but it's just a fucking alibi, you know, you got the bag with you, you got the parcel, you're not really posting it, you're making small talk, you want to find something else out. Then you walk back and we talk about it. Then we set it up and I do and do the scene, come back and walk back in the saloon and throw the paper back, the parcel behind. He said, no, no, you're here and you can't throw the parcel behind the bar. I said, it's a McGuffin. He said, no, 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 it's got a head in it. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, that next morning I start talking to this Indian head inside, which I remember, Indian head, which is a wise gesture like, no, I just, you know. You know, Dave, Tim tells that story about, I'll just tell another one about, um, they're walking backstage one day, Tim and he, and there's a, there's a couple of sort of a dodgy thing about, anyway, David bangs his head on this, and Tim goes, Jesus, David, you hurt yourself? And David goes, Jesus, could I get addicted to that? <laughs> <laughs> Next day, there's a scene starts with Bullock banging his fucking head. <laughs> no, I mean, the guy is just, it's built to, he's built to do this. He was built to do this. And it was never less than um, a pleasure watching uh, the other actors do stuff. I mean, sometimes you'd hang out just to do that. Mm. And then we, had, we always had this sort of musical thing backstage. We had uh, some serious musicians came out on... We had ZZ Top as extras. I mean, I, God, I forget, their manager was outside in the long black limousine, or they wouldn't get out of it. Yeah. And they're all dressed up in like cowpoke, going, rrr, rrr, talking away. I'm thinking, what the fuck? Have you, have you ever been on a movie set? It's the most boring fucking place in the world. Unless you're actually doing it, you know, they'd be an extra. But no, Alice in Chains, God no. bless, no, Jerry, they all came out and they loved the show. And you know, uh, it's kind of like, it was kind of a nice feeling that. Do you feel in some ways that Deadwood will be the defining, the owl will be the defining role of your career? I have no idea. I mean, they don't come along like that. Um, very, you know, very, very grateful to have got that part. I mean, got, that's, and that's how you approach it, but, but, but when you act it, you act it by the scruff of its fucking throat. Yeah. 
you take it and you wrangle that bastard right into the ground. I forget if, when you're those speeches, you've got to be bold to get out there. You can't sort of go on. I never forget, I never went on the set with a script in my hand, ever on Deadwood. I never got, I never went with the script in my hand. I had it there, but I thought, there's no point. You either have it. Mm-hmm. And then we all got into that sense, sense. And I watched, not all of us did that, but that doesn't mean to say everybody has to do it. Everybody yeah. works a different way. You work with everybody. You know, there's different. Watching William Sanderson work is one of the great geniuses of our business. E.B. Farnham, right? Mm-hmm. Who is one of the great, I mean, you know, I've said it before, William Sanderson could make Shakespeare funny, which is fucking difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Those Shakespeare comic roles are not funny. You know, I've seen great actors failing. They're not. But William and, and that David found a way of writing those extraordinary soliloquies for Bill, remember? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of E.B. Fowler. I mean, I remember he you... He explained a character and he became this linking and totally in character. He could carry off that. I know, strange. I mean, extraordinary watching William work. I remember we once said... And he's uh, also the god of money. Well, and not a bad place to be. I was going to say, when that episode, I think he came in like, what, episode six of season two of uh, American Gods? And, and it, was, it, was a, it was like, I almost felt it was a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink to Deadwood fans that he was there. Absolutely, because yeah. Billy's one of those people, he brings something to the, you know, what, what brings that ineffable quality, like Crispin does. Yeah, yeah. Those kind of actors are to be blamed. I mean, you go back, you know, my, my favorite actors of the past, you go back to them. My, like actors now, like Richard Jenkins, who I love, you know. Yeah. Richard Jenkins can do anything. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So who did I mean, now it's just off the top of your head, but yeah. going back, like Strother Martin, all those guys from the movies, you get you know, Murray Hamilton. I mean, you, those great character actors that you rise up. That's, what it, that's where it's at with people who, you know, I, I'm drawn to movies by. I mean, I'm drawn mm-hmm. not by, by actors usually. I'm drawn by the project or whatever yeah. appeals to you, you know, and I read the same way. Um, but I love movies. Yeah, I love them. I want to jump back a little bit yeah. to when you talk about, about great actors. With you, with Richard Burton. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I'm sure there's, a, there's the movie, and then there's the, the story behind the movie. Well, they were the biggest, you know, I mean, it's yeah. funny. It's, they were at the time, and she was, Elizabeth was making Z and Company, another mm-hmm. movie in London, when we were making Villain in uh, 1970. Yeah, wow. And Richard was just the greatest. Great guy. You know, we used to go in the morning. I don't forget. We had, uh, in the morning, I get. He had Bob, his dress would come and say, "Ian, um, you, first." Uh, and I'd met him before. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, what, what he said. Uh, but you, Richard liked to go over the lines. You want to come in? I said, "Yeah, sure. I'm, I'll just, I'll just put me." He said, "Don't no, bring your breakfast. Bring your breakfast." Now we're in England, right? So I'm having kippers. <laughs> mm. Kippers. Yeah. Smoked haddock. Yeah. On toast with lots of butter and pepper. Nine I don't o'clock. Know, that doesn't sound bad. No, at all. it's no. great, but uh, no, but it sounds terrible. I know what you mean. I said this to David Harper. He went, "No, oh, God Almighty, black pudding, kippers, all that kind of thing." But you know, you're in it, and it's great. Anyway, so I'm there, and Richard comes in, and we're, we're, I bring it in there. Richard says, "I said, Richard, he said, I'll bring it in, boy." You know, I said, "I know." Mm, what's that? That's kippers. Oh, Bob, give me some kippers. Mm-hmm. So off he goes. I always go into my remember that. Bill Murray impersonation in the Santa Claus movie. <laughs> but he is, he had this amazing voice. It was yeah. sort of like it's Welsh, like he was singing in Welsh to you, even his good morning. <laughs> it was like amazing voice, amazing guy. Great, and that's great head. Anyway, and he's going, he's going on about these fucking kippers. You know, he's going on. He says, Bob, bring me some kippers. So they bring him, and we're going over the lines. Meanwhile, I, have to, looking, I do have to start you for a second. You have to write a book so you can do the audio book. 
No, but he's doing the kippers and he's looking at them and he goes, mm, and I can see he thinks he's eating them. Oh, delicious. Oh, yes, yeah. Mmm. Kippers. And we're going over the lines. Then he goes, Mop. Mmm. Fine. Okay, take him away now. Bring me a salty dog, which is a triple vodka with grapefruit juice. <laughs> so I said, I'll join you while I've absolutely. So that's what, those were the days. So you'd start off with a salty dog for breakfast yeah. and you'd go on and nobody was drunk. At lunchtime, you'd go in there in the pub and you'd have a couple of drinks and then you'd have a couple of vodkas because everybody did. Yeah. And suddenly, go, and it was fine. Nobody got drunk. You know, they've got and some great and some great movies. Oh, absolutely! But it was like, but like Richard, you know, I there's a few I don't remember totally. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but he's that one he made with Lee Marvin, which he Steph Athlete refused. He never made the Klansman. Yeah, yeah. I never made that movie. I was never there. (laughs) Neither of them were never there apparently. (laughs) But Richard was just generous, and when we did this scene, when because I played this bisexual. Um, his, his, his sidekick. Sidekick, but yeah. driver, chauffeur, yeah. but I was also having an affair with the girl, Fiona Lewis, and he hated me for it. I mean, he was slightly masochistic, so he beat the shit out of me. So mm. we, but the scene ended with us. We never actually kissed, but it ended in a provocative kind of about to happen way. Mm. But he was very, Richard said, you know, I'm very glad you're playing this part, Ian. I said, why? He said, well, you remind me of Elizabeth. <laughs> 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 Violet eyes to die for. She's gone. <laughs> very funny. Now, very funny. how many of you guys have seen Lovejoy? Yes. Well, Lovejoy ran for, well, there was one season in 1986, yep. and then it came back for season two. England had a different prime minister. Five years had passed and what have you. And then it ran until 1994. Oh, we and did. It, ran, it was here on A&E. Well, A&E Network, as yeah, we call it at the time. Uh, yeah, no, I found the books in like 83. I was going through that time, I was thinking, I don't know what. You know, there's a time in your life when you're not really fitting in as in you're doing things, but mm-hmm. you're not quite. And I thought, well, now's the time to maybe go against everything I ever said I would do. And I'll produce a popular TV show and play in it yeah. if I can. And I found and these. And directed books. a bunch of episodes. Well, I loved I used to, well, yeah, but I used to love watching, like, you know, um, the great James Garner. And Rockford Files to me was one of the great. I mean, it is. It's a classic Rockford show. Files you know? be- be- shows, oh, yeah. Beautiful. I mean, written by Stephen Cannell. Yeah. It's got that quality, that heroic thing. You have to have sidekicks. You have to pick the right people. You have to do it. You have to live in a trailer. You have to. Yeah, yeah or virtually, yeah. or not live anywhere, yeah, or live exactly. content, whatever. But you have to get it, the scene right. And I got these books about this antique dealer who lived in Suffolk, who's a divvy, like he gets a, he, he knows the real thing, gets yeah. these weird ticks when he does it. But books weren't that great, but they had this great premise of it. Whatever, and I knew the guy to write it, Ian Lafrenet, and my partner Alan McEwen, who I went to, and they had at the time, Ian Lafrenet, and, and um, was writing, they wrote the classic writers of English comedy shows. They wrote mm. Porridge, which is yeah. a game show, and all those. And I knew Ian could write that difficult, it's like, like drama, it's, not, it's drama comedy, it's a difficult area, because you've got to be light, you've got to be smart, but you can't just, you know, not just funny the whole time, you've got to make it work. And he came up with a Bible for this, and we turned it BBC. And we did the first year, and no, she was a new head of drama who didn't like, because we were the first independent production. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not working for the BBC. Jesus Christ, I said, I'll do it with you. You give us the money and we'll make it. And we did it independent. And then the end of it, uh, a guy came in, um, Michael Grade, and said, no, no, I, don't, I really don't like this sort of method of doing this. We'd like to take the show. You can still do it. I said, okay, see you, brother. You know, down the road, I've got things to do. And Alan felt the same way, so we forgot about it for three years. Jonathan Powell then became head of the BBC. Mm-hmm. He commissioned it for head of drama, so I always loved that show. 
I said, well, we'll come back. Well, I'll come back for two years. You've got to make it for two years. Well, and we did, and it was one of their biggest shows. It was yeah. getting like, like 18, 18, million 18 20 million people yeah. in the early 90s. Game of Thrones numbers. Oh. Game of Thrones. Just remember that. It's when they were taking off, you're like, yeah, Sunday. I made that I in 1990. It's weird. <laughs> but you know, it was a good show. Yeah. Sunday night viewing, people said, oh, you've sold out. You've sold out. I said, yeah, no, I've sold in, actually. Because <laughs> now I can chew, pick around, and do what I want to do for a while. I directed something. I got to know about the business a little bit. You know, Did I got directing to change you as an actor? No, not really. I think directing TV is all about getting... Uh, it's all about... It's, if you come in with the idea, I'm making my movie, don't direct TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you're going to know a certain way. You know, it's, I found it a technical exercise. Also, well said, you can know all about movie. You can learn it in half a day. Yeah. I mean, the technical side of it, what you're doing, it's a question of where your eye is and what you, know, what you want to do with it. And I found, yeah, I enjoyed it because I'd always do it properly. I wouldn't just sort of say, I'll do the third one of the season. I went and did the first one mm -hmm. of each season. So I got to prep it, got to go yeah. out, pick locations, and I'd pick the actors and have a good time with them and you know, make them feel comfortable and enjoy it. So it taught me a lot. Did you make yourself feel comfortable as an actor? I said, well, I knew what I wanted to do. I was more, I was, I, you know, when you're playing a part, mm -hmm. Lovejoy, you've got to play the part. It's not like you're playing, like you're, you're going for heady drama every week. Yeah. So you, 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 you're, you're doing something in a different way. You're, you're using all the acting skills of that in a different sense, but doing something and learning about comedy. I never played that kind of light comedy drama over a period of that time. It teaches you a lot. Well, Working, yeah. And she was one of Phyllis Logan, the actress, yeah. I worked, great actress. Yeah. You watched, um, what's that, that English show about that house? Thank you, Down Abbey. Yeah. She played downstairs. She I, played headed down Phyllis Logan. Next time I think Down Abbey's actress. on my TV, I want to see that on the direct TV description. <laughs> that English show about that house. <laughs> I, I <knew. laughs> and wait, Phyllis is in that, but she was in Lovejoy before that, but she's great. Great. And Dudley Sutton, mm -hmm. God bless you, Duds. He was in it. And, uh, you know, it's all about. And Lafrenet created a, a great Bible for us to get on with the show. But he, but he, we did five years, and I said, thank you. And they said, you know, I said, but they, no, I that's know it. that they want. That's it. That people wanted to come back. I mean, in this oh, age yeah, but I said, no, no, I've, I've already said this, and, the, 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 and I know the, has the rights, and I've said to him, if you're going to bring it back, bring it back, and the classic way is to introduce, you keep talking about Lovejoy for this episode, and, love, and then Lovejoy walks in the door, and it's a five foot six blonde or brunette, mm -hmm. gorgeous looking woman who says, hello, I'm Lovejoy, because he had a daughter in the show. Yeah. So bring it back as a woman. There's a million plots you can do. And I'm not just being, you know, bowing down to the to my female gender. It's like, it's logical. Mm -hmm. It's that time, because it's not a show about, it's, it's a better, well, I mean, what, what, what are you going to put? Some other actor is going to impersonate me playing mm -hmm. the part? Or I'm going to play, you're heading towards, you know, I'm going to be an expert in, you know, um, I don't know, old, you know, old chamber pots or whatever. Love you, I've got to leave now, whatever. Or I, I, really, it's like saying, no, you've done that, I've been there. Yeah. It's very nice to be asked back. Uh, but I said, that's the way to go. Put some twist on it. You can come in, that, that allows me to come in occasionally and go, hello, darling. Oh, I can you change my chamber, Bob, no, please? No, but you know it. Can you change my chamber? <laughs> oh, whatever, but I'm saying, but it's like, you've got to put a twist on it. It's like shows come back. That's why I was pleased about Deadwood, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just coming back for the sake of coming back. They actually did it properly. And it looks like, you know, it's been warmly received because, yeah, yeah it's good. It's, it is the, good, actually. The, the people have changed, you know, the yeah. character changed, Alice. And David once said, and I, it's a maxim that he said, you know, I'm not going to have you come down every episode. The stairs, you know, um, get a blowjob, kill somebody with a knife and make a long speech. 
They, you did that. They can't, you made wow. that. Again, on the description on my TV, <laughs> Deadwood. But, but you know, I mean, that, that's the Ian beauty. McShane comes down the stairway, gets a blowjob, kills someone, makes a speech. <laughs> but that's what, if you people love, they go, oh, I love that bit when you, you, you go, yeah, and then you think of all the other stuff. And that was what yeah. was great about Deadwood. Yeah, of course, there's moments like that. Yeah, you treasure it. But if you had to do it, we just, no. That was Al when he could vomit out about himself. Mm -hmm. That's the only time he could be about I recognize because I'm playing David, you know. Mm -hmm. In many ways. When you when you look back on your career, is there something that you see as a through line? There's something. I mean, there's always these description of Ian McShane plays roguish role, which is I just think is a boring boring cliche and not and not at all thoughtful. But for you, what do you what do you when you look over the trajectory of your career so far? John Wick 4 coming. Um, what, where do you see, what do you see for that? You're like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. I do these things. Well, you know, it's like, it, that's what you're supposed to do for. That's what they hire you for. Mm -hmm. That we're like, you know, we're a dying breed of that kind of actor that mm -hmm. gets you, you ground things. It's very gratifying. They, you know, it's, you've reached the stage whereby you, you know what you want to do, what you want to, you don't come in there. You, you want to know, well, what do you want me to do in this? But I, or, the, or you see it. Mm -hmm. You see it before you. And I guess, you know, it's taken for granted a bit, but that's kind of nice in a way. Did I you, mean, in terms of, like, roles you do, I mean, it's like there's... Um, and they, they come along. I mean, it's like the part I remember doing... I enjoyed Ray Donovan a lot. Yeah. But they never developed it. I remember having... Then I've had these... What about pirate when you did pirate? I, I, I was great. I vented that. Pirates? Yeah. Well, even pirates, you know, is going to be cut down to nothing because of the speed of the way they edit the movie. So whatever you, you put it on the screen, but you know what's going to happen to it when you see it. It's all going to be, you know, I mean, yeah, it was fun to do. Mm -hmm. Johnny, I love working with him. It's fine. Jeffrey, it was fine. Nice experience. Yeah. Very nice experience. But, you know, the movie, okay, I, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be, it's, it's popcorn edited. That's mm -hmm. why John Wick isn't. John Wick's very different. John yeah. Wick has got a, some kind of weird soul to it, you know, which is great. Um, uh, but like Ray Donovan, that was a character I want to explore more. We could never sort of, they could never, it was again the year that Anne Biderman had left, so they were in mm -hmm. flux. And they brought you in as a kind of a, as if you like it. And I love, Liv, terrific actor, mm -hmm. working with him, oh yeah. And the Sean Paula was in that, but it never sort of, the character was great. What a billionaire, you know, billionaire, bisexual studio boss who's an alcoholic, but you made that a bit into it. It got interesting, mm -hmm. but it never, because again, it's the story, the story, the show has so many other areas in it, it didn't have time to explore that one. And as an actor, you go, well, you forgot about me, you know, and if you're in, and if you're in a series, you think, what a waste. I never got to play a, you know, never got to play a scene with John Voight in it, which would have been fun, you know. John's a very fine actor, you know. It would have been fun to do that, but the shows have different things in mind, so you've always got to be, um, you know, aware of that, what you're doing. When you look at projects... Well, like doing Deadwood, I like doing yeah. Game of Thrones, that one-off. I did that because, yeah, it was funny. It's always nice to get, you know, it's nice to go back to Europe on an FA, yeah. But I, you know, I, I have to say, I mean, well, that's not, no, that's but, you, but, but, they, but that, that monologue you did was yeah, pure Ian McShane. Yeah, it was like, and I felt like was, that's why they hired you. Yeah, because yeah. they're like, you're the guy who can stand on the side of the mountain and do this. Because it wasn't was it two like pages? That. It was a guy who was a peacenik. It was a guy yeah. who, and there was something to, yeah, I thought, yeah, it was a great thing to be able to do. But inside the whole show of it is something else. It's a guy who was maybe one of those, you know, 
Lanaires, whatever they call the Westeros or whatever, yeah, yeah. citizen, whatever it was, and had found he became a peacenik yeah. and sub. But he was also bringing the, the Hound character back again, you know. And I like Rory; he's lovely. Mm. We had, and, uh, and it was a great three days in yeah. Belfast. And it was nice to go back to Belfast, the town which I'd been, I'd been back since the Troubles, mm-hmm. um, which had changed a lot. Thank God. And that's one of the great things about Game of Thrones has done. It's brought Belfast, brought Northern Ireland back mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Put, pumped a lot of money into the area, you know. Good for it, tourism, people yeah. go. Oh, There's no, a Game of great. Thrones museum. That's what it's yeah. absolutely yeah. no, but it's it's hugely important. I mean, yeah. I stayed in that hotel, talked to them. The most they have this thing on this, the most bombed hotel in Europe. <laughs> the Europa. Yeah. And that night it was it was overtaken by a hotel in Croatia. They lost <laughs> they lost their billing the following day. <laughs> I'm fucking upset we lost their billing. We're no longer the most bombed hotel in Europe. <laughs> I love that accent, and it's so difficult. They might, they might get it back, unfortunately, the way things are going over there now, sadly. Well, over in Northern Ireland. Now, now resurrections Brexit. of the Troubles. Brexit will do it, if anything. Brexit's going to destroy everything. Brexit, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of sad. They're still they're screwing around still. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. But now they're, nobody does here anyway. So be, like, be like Italy. Just carry on, you know, but even they're going a little the other way. But just get on with it, you know? You, you are now at this stage in your career where I can't think of anything that you could have done that you haven't done. Is there? Well, you're like, ah, I'd love to do a Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) But you've already got a franchise now. You've got John Wick, which, you know, grew from this wonderful little independent movie into this, you know. No, um, when you, you, I was distracted there by thinking, you're supposed to think then about, you know, you get serious, an actor gets serious. Is there a part? (laughs) <laughs> and they start going, they start going, oh, I, I think I've got a Lear in me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Lear! <laughs> no, I mean, but, but, but that's it, there's compete, Hamlet, they should be in moratorium on Hamlet for 20 fucking years. <laughs> if I hear one more variation saying, I played it as a neurotic young man, that's what, I, think, I don't give a shit. No, you have to wear the turtleneck. You have to wear the turtleneck, or you have to be the ghost, or you have to be the gay Hamlet, and then yeah. you're the speedy and the nice Hamlet. So, who the fuck knows, it's a great play, mm-hmm. but don't kill it, you know? Too many young people play, they can't play it. That's what I'm saying, you're only, you're about 75, I'm the right age to play Hamlet now. <laughs> Mentally, yeah. completely fucked. <laughs> but still going. <laughs> That's an excellent transition to our next stage of today's interview. <laughs> I'm playing the Dave Allen version of this, by the way. Yeah, if you're British, if you know that, you might know. Well, no, you didn't say I've got the, I did the leg cross and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's very, no, well, you have to, because he, Dave Allen was this. A monologist. I mean, I mean on tour doesn't quite describe great, great, it. Great, no, it's great. He, he gives you a bit of a run for your money. Bit. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I did the show. He's lovely, I knew it. Really? I did his show. No, he was lovely. The best one, yeah. Dave was a very special comic. He had that very. That kind of well, I mean, he's modeled himself on. It's very difficult. I mean, if I may go back, it just reminds mm. me of when they said be funny at drama school. And we had this class, and drama school was great. It only comes back to you later how great it was. I knew, well, knew nothing. I came from playing. You, you went to I went to the Royal Academy. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but it's like, but you know, it comes back to you later. All that stuff you do, wearing tights and doing restoration comedy mm. and, and doing ballet and fencing—it's great, fantastic. But at the time, you go, geez, here we go again. But you know, you're trying to catch the eye of the girl. Mm-hmm. Who's also fencing with you, whatever? Because that's it. I mean, I went to it, you know, grammar school, whatever. But it was fantastic, rather. And um, 
What was I lost? I was lost in <laughs> ballet for a moment there. Yeah. <laughs> what were we going to? What were, what well, we, we were to? making da- uh, very inside joke Dave Allen jokes. Dave Allen. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, and I, yeah, a comedy. And Peter Barkworth, a marvelous English actor, character actor, ran a class called Technique. Sounds insane, but it was actually great. And he'd make you do things every week. Right, come in next week. You're a stand-up comic. Did you have to do the clown walk? Excuse me, can I finish this one? <laughs> Thank you. I'm doing the Dave Allen role. You I can't know, stop. You're fine. I know, but, any, but this was funny because, you know, I, you know, you tell a few jokes. I love a joke, so I used to tell jokes. Whatever, but I thought, ah, oh, really funny, yeah, stand-up comics. Oh, I thought, Bob Newhart at the time was big. So I translated his baseball routine into cricket when he gets on the phone and tries to call the Olympics to sell cricket as a sport for the Olympics. I died a fucking death. <laughs> I thought, fellow, fellow actors in the same class, I'm going, yeah, so, what do, you, what do I do? And I'm going like, uh, well, you have, you have a your short leg and a fast burler and a medium and the stumps are off and I'm going, and you go, you're sweating halfway through it. You know, I'm thinking, geez, and I'd rehearsed it so well. I thought, oh, fuck this, anyway. I finished it, <laughs> I finished it and went, well, that does, sorry, Peter, it didn't go down too well. A guy I knew told two of my jokes to the class. He went, my mom and, my mom and dad are in the iron and steel business. My mother owns, my father steals. <laughs> and my dad, my dad, what a marvelous man. Marvelous man, I love my dad. Never forget the last words he ever said. Fuck me a bus! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Roars of laughter. I thought those are my jokes. Why didn't I just, why didn't I take the simple route and tell a joke? Good lesson. But even at that age, you know it. You think, yeah. why am I trying to be smart with myself? A little too ahead of myself, mm-hmm. lever. So life's been that. I think it teaches you every time you do a gig, you know, or whatever. You come out there with that, but that, that teaches you a good lesson, you know, about you know, just tr- why was I? I wasn't ready. Yeah. For my own comedy routine. <laughs> <laughs> but tonight we're bringing it back. <laughs> Ian McShane live on the Sunset Strip, almost. <laughs> so we're going to go to some questions from the audience. Um, our audience, who many of you are actors, aren't you, if I believe correctly? Yes, excellent. <laughs> Thoroughly uh, upstanding profession, I hear. Anyways, this is from Daniel. Rogues and, and Vagabonds. Mem- memoir title, just saying. Rogues and, no, yeah, that's what they, that David Niven wrote the funniest book about it, you know, about being, you know, you pay, you know, they pay you to wait in movies. It's great. I mean, it's a, no, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great way of, of, Working without working, in a sense. I mean, you're always work out. It's, yeah. it's underrated, but it's overrated. But it's, uh, if you if you get lucky at it, and you got to have luck, mm-hmm. and you got to have patience. Sometimes you don't work. I mean, gay actors, you know, you lose. I mean, I remember kids at drama school I worked with. You know, mm-hmm. never saw them again. Never saw them again. I remember saw them in, two. You know, whatever. It's a, it's cruel business. Cruel, cruel. It's interesting what you were saying earlier about that when you were at that stage in your career in the in the '80s, where it just was like. There wasn't a pillar of firing, and you, you, you took it to a different direction. I was still looking for, you know, I was lucky. I was still looking, you know, I was still working a lot mm-hmm. and doing stuff, but, I, but it's like not the, the right stuff, so, but, but what I wanted, but I was fortunate enough to change another direction, and it worked out, you know. Um, what is that like for, for an actor, the highs and lows, when you find yourself in that place where you have to take a role that you really don't want to take? Oh, you can make that work. I think I, the only one I did, I did do an injustice. Now, to tell the story against myself, I did, I came over and I was doing a play here back in the 90s. Play I wanted to do, and at the same time, they offered me this uh, a show, what was it? Ba- Babylon 5, the very last episode ever, a two-hour version. Oh, this, this, 
I've seen this particular episode, and I see you look at a certain person's face who was once playing the President of the United States on television. I know, but and Martin, it's very uncomfortable but, to watch. No, well, Martin and not Martin. It's Martin it's, Sheen. Martin, Martin Sheen. Sheen and I both did two movies around this time, looking at each other, thinking, why the fuck are we here? It's like <laughs> looking at each other, going, why are we doing this? And uh, no, I mean, I did another movie, yeah, two, yeah. like the year before, in like Cost Puerto Rico, and that was Martin again. And suddenly I'm going, like, what, what, why are we? But anyway, that's another story. But you're yeah. there because you're there for other reasons. Yeah. So that's whatever. Puerto Rico is not a bad place to be, by the way. Yeah. But anyway, this Babylon 5, and I took it, and um, the dialogue, and I forget, the first day, and that was the closest I came, and I got in there, and I was dodgy on the lines. I'd never, ever been dodgy on the lines before. Never. It was all that tech talk. Oh, it was the worst written shit you've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't, but I can't yeah. excuse that. Yeah. I chose to say yes. Yeah. You know, how many can repeat quad angle four times backwards? I mean, all that kind of technical made no sense. But I did actually go and say, you know, I said to them, you know, I don't think this is, can, can I give you your money back? I don't, I, I don't think this is going to work out. It's really going to be, nobody love you. I said, nobody's, but it's got, anyway, it was, it was one of, that's the, that's the one time I felt like I'd, I wasn't up to myself in like I'd, I hadn't prepared well, because that's what I'm known for. Mm -hmm. And you haven't prepared. And you've got nobody to blame. You can't go blaming the show. You can't suddenly say, no, I didn't do it. No, that was me. And that teaches you a lesson. Hmm. But it never, you know, I mean, years before, uh, never. It was like a shock. And then, you, you know, you start to feel like, Jesus. Then you say, no, I'll get it together. And you get it together. But that's when it's, you know, you know no, I'll never, do, I'll never go through that again. Because it's not, not healthy, not good. Um... But again, you learn from everything. You got to. But acting is acting. Um, acting is a is a is a weird thing to do. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a it's a thing you can do at the now like a the drop of a hat because it's what you do. But again, it's it's the acting quality that you do or try to, and it's very exciting. There's never been a time now when you see all these, you know pop up everywhere. Never seen so many. There's so much work around, which is great for actors. Great for actors, technicians, and, you know, it all gets seen. I mean, I'm sure it's going to dry up sooner or later. You know, the, you but know, it's all about content. But there is never... saying that, but it doesn't no, seem to happen. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's a thirst out there. And there's lots of good stuff. There's lots of bad stuff out there, but you can shift it out. For you, for you, and, and this talks a little bit about the thing you talked about earlier with Deadwood. So there's the big screen, Ian McShane. And there's the smaller screen Ian McShane. And then there are lots of people who watch Ian McShane on these because they're on the subway going home from work or the tube and they didn't see American Gods last week, so they watch it on this. Does that matter to you? Because some people do. They're like, ah, I hate that stuff. People should watch a movie on a big screen no, and it should like be... the snobbism of TV, which never existed with British actors. I mean, we never... That was very much like, you know, suddenly American actors now... You know, they'll do TV, and then they'll, they'll do commercials. They always did commercials abroad. But in that, Tokyo. That was a yeah. big, in Tokyo, yeah. that was years ago. It was always far away. There was always this weird disconnect. Now anybody can do anything. You can advertise whatever you want. You can be whatever. And you're not judged by that. You're judged by some other weird. And, you know, um, no, it's what, it's the technology has moved so quickly. Uh, it's impossible to keep up. You ask any cinematographer, I asked Dan, Faust and the great cinematographer on oops, uh, the great cinematographer John Wick. Um, I said, uh, film? He said, I wouldn't go back to film if you paid me. No cameraman would. They can do whatever they want. 
yeah. digitally now. They've got this board, they do it, they saturate it, desaturate it, get the lights or whatever. What cameramen used to do years ago. I mean, it's, it's great, but they can do whatever they want to make a scene. I mean, it's on, well, watching Deadwood the other night. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I thought on that screen, you can, it looked fine on the big screen. Yeah. Obviously, if you'd known it was, you'd have tweaked other things more. But honestly, no, it looked, it looked amazing. And John, I mean, you know, when you see John, what Dan can do, John Wick, I mean, uh, m remarkable. But I say that's the, you know, the advantages in, in, in technology. We shall never stop coming. I mean, wait, you know, I mean everybody says, oh, they'll never be, um, what do you call it, uh, immersive, the immersive thing. Virtual oh, uh, reality. Yeah, virtual, yeah. Of course it's coming. Of course you'll be there. They'll get it down. You know, I mean, I... I right now it's sports and porn. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> If you're looking for a new gig, I'm telling you. <laughs> Best of both worlds there, my friend. Sports All right. Okay. So we're going to do a question. This is from Daniel. Daniel, thank you. Good question. As an up-and-coming actor just starting out, how do you know that you are doing enough to further your career? Do you have any suggestions as to what an artist can do to move closer to his goals of becoming a working actor? Uh, no, I don't have any idea about what it <laughs> takes to further your career. I don't know, you work. I never had a career. In terms of like working towards, I never wanted, all I knew is I never wanted to join a company. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to join like a Shakespeare company. Yeah, maybe if I'd fallen like Steppenwolf or something like that. But not if like a, the Shakespeare company, the National Theatre, that's not my kind of thing. No, I don't even know where I want to have dinner tomorrow night. That's why theatre was always a problem. As much as I love doing it, but a pain in the ass after a while. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, came, I, I used to love it in New York. Yeah. I know, there's a weird feeling in New York. Where I, I, it's like you get the feeling at like about seven o'clock. Everybody's getting ready to go to the theater. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's I a was, weird I, thing about New York. You get that feeling. I should I walk to the theater the, every on night. On Sundays, you know, as an ex, I, I grew up in New York. Yeah, as an ex, you know, though I never spent, I had no idea what Americans did in the summer until 1982. Like, so I always went to England. I had no idea what you did in the summer here. But I, I, I get the New York Times every week. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a TV critic. I'm an entertainment journalist. I'm like, where are all, there are all these theater ads? But where's the whole, like, where's the Avengers or the John Wick ad? But there's all these theaters ad because New York is obsessed with theater. Obsessed. Obsessed. Completely obsessed. But you do, it is that feeling. Never get it in London when they'll play that. Mm. But in New York, I'm not feeling that. Everybody's going to the theater that time of night. And yeah. it's very adrenaline making. I've always found it kind of, yeah, there's a wind beneath you in New York when you do a play, I always felt, which I didn't get from other places. So I did some interesting plays here at. Um, in Los Angeles, The Matrix, a great theater, yeah. great experimental theater. I did uh, Indemissible Evidence there by Osborne. Mm -hmm. And I did um, the Pinterplay, the, uh, what's it called? The Lovers. What's the, the Lovers? What's it called? They've just done the movie. They've just done it in London. They're always doing it. Betrayal. Betrayal, thank you. Yeah, hey, the Betrayal, thank you. Yeah, it's always, they're always doing it. Yeah. yeah, I did that here. Great. Terrific to do it, but it's like, yeah. I, but you're I very, like, but you are very attached to, to Harold Pinter as. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I always was, yeah. But yeah. it's like, but you know, you enjoy. I enjoyed that sort of rehearsing it and playing it, rather like the Russians did. You know, I mm. mean, I never forget seeing the Russian Chekhov in 1962 at the World Theatre. It mm. was the most staggering thing I've ever seen. The acting, well, they they sort of they live it. You know, mm -hmm. that company lived it. I mean, it was like the most extraordinary. It was like wow. Well, there they were. I also loved the American version. I remember, forget, they, they came up, they got booed off the stage. They did the, it was George C. Scott, who I later worked, well, I worked with, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I got to work with those people, not just Richard Burton, George C. Scott, amazing. Mm 
We're in a caravan in Paris doing the murders in the Rue Morgue. And George says, let's have a warm beer and watch, and watch, what's she called? The, the, um, uh, the, the singer, Jeanette MacDonald. Let's watch it. Jeanette MacDonald have a warm beer. I said, why a warm beer? It's like, <laughs> why? But there we are, George. And then George would say, are we still in fucking Paris? I said, yeah, you're still in fucking Paris. We're still there. But unbelievable, those kind of people you work with. I mean, and they work with, with no, but yeah, but they work no, with you. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, those are fucking legends. So you work with Mitchum. They're also deeply rounded human beings. You know, they're not some Dutch and actors. They're deep people who've lived a life, yeah. really lived life. They've been through awards. They've been through whatever. They've lived lives of whatever. Do you think those actors are? So, th- those, they they do. don't make them like that anymore. No, 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 no fighting no. words. No, no, I'm saying no. You, no, I'm, I'm saying because you have lived a life. Yeah. I'm not saying young actors don't live a life. Sure, but it's like saying have they got? I'm just so saying, you know, I'd love to play Hamlet. Anybody <laughs> out there? Yes. I'd. I'd be scared for other people. <laughs> I sort of know how it's going to go. You see, I know how it ends. I think it's Scottish. <laughs> I think it would be Hamlet, and then somewhere you'd become Claudius, and then go back again. No, I'd make it. No, I'd make it all. I'd make him Scottish, and I'd make him uh, hate his father. Hate uh, his mother. <laughs> hate his fucking mother. <laughs> Get off the fucking roof. Um, <laughs> interesting. Interesting. You, we, we say that. This is another question for you. At this stage in your career, is there a particular character from the classic repertoire, and I love this, whoever wrote this, and I'm not making fun of you, I really do love this, Shakespeare, etc. great playwright, etc. <laughs> you are still keen to play. No, I, yeah. I'm, <laughs> you know, it's like you, the best thing in the world is reading a script and covering up with something, and you go, well, that's really interesting, you know? Or it's when they send you a script, when you know it, so I love it, when they send an accompanying um, sort of photo montage of how they want the movie to be, mm-hmm. and then they send a, a letter from the producer which says, we want you to play this part because of all that you'll bring and the emotional relationship that your character will involve with the other person. You read it, and it's the worst piece of crap you've ever read in your life. <laughs> and it makes no sense at all. But I love the passion which sometimes you have to respond, mm-hmm. or whatever. But my, my, I'm always amazed by you know, everybody that thinks they can make a movie. I mean, people, I mean, a movie is a difficult thing to make. I mean, I've been involved in this since I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. I don't know, maybe about 90, like movies on television. And movies are like, what, because nobody knows anything from the mm-hmm. great quote, you know, that they don't, they really don't, they know a certain amount, you know. But there is a feeling that when you're working on a movie that this could be okay, depending on the way it's sold, the way it's done, you know what I mean? And um, it's nice when you discover something like a John Wick script, which comes and you go, who else is in this? And they go, Willem Dafoe, Johnny Legs. And you go, oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's good. That's interesting. And, uh, but then, you know, what? You're supposed to, because you're so desperate to play a leading part, in a, a poorly written indie drama that you'll do it just for the sake of because you're playing the lead? No, there's much more interesting stuff done on TV. Mm-hmm. I also love um, ensemble pieces. I think that's how you get the best out of everybody, except if you've got a writer that's prepared to do it, which you have in David Milch, who never let any character die on the page. I mean, that's his great strength, as a, as a, and that's why so many people really follow him and really love Milch, actors, writers, whatever, because um, 
he brings something new to the table with every character every time out. Um, and what he made Deborah about was the evolution of this town. And that was the script. You, you got very spoiled, you know, look, mm-hmm. when you do that. But I've also, it's also, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always thought quality of the work, after doing Love, Joy, and saying, yeah, I've got it, yeah, I've got my own show, I know about that, I've directed a few, and then you get lucky with something like you get asked to do Deadwood, and it goes through all this tumultuous stuff, and then you do other stuff, you work movies, you go back, you do a play, you do TV, rest for a while, you do a series. I like, I like TV series. You know, I mean, that's what I said. Kings was really good. Mm-hmm. American Gods is fascinating. If they can, they may never get it right. That doesn't matter. But they're still out there trying to get yeah. it. You know, they're trying to make this sort of impossible book sort of possible. And this image of whatever. I can't wait to see what they come up with for next year. You know, exciting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can't think of a better place than that. The legendary Ian McShane. Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA-FOUND. We'd love to hear from you.